privilege. I have the privilege of introducing our speaker for the next three weeks. It's uh, Dr. Mike Proud, Jr. of the Colorado Baptist General Convention. It's a very long title, many words in there. But uh, uh, interesting fact, I didn't meet uh, Mike until just about two years ago when we had an RGBA meeting uh, here, the association meeting. Um, but my wife, as has known Mike for a very long time, and his wife Sally, uh, my wife Erin, uh, grew up in, the ch in, I believe, Mike's sending church where he got called to ministry and Sally was actually uh, a Sunday school leader for my wife back in the day. So there's a strong connection there. Uh, Aaron, and, uh, Aaron will be back next week and is very much looking forward to seeing both of you. Uh, but we are very grateful to have Mike here for the next three weeks delivering his sermon series. And would you welcome him to the stage, please? Well, it's, it's a blessing to be back with you uh, here this morning. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles with me and turn to Genesis chapter 50. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. Um, but I'm so grateful for you showing that video. So the Colorado Baptist General Convention has produced a number of videos, and, and you may have seen those already to share with you what your gifts to the Colorado Mission Offering are doing across the state. You know, and oftentimes it's only where we live and only where we, uh, what we see personally that, that we know. And so it's our opportunity to share with you, hey, we are all in this together. And I've had the privilege of knowing Dennis McDaniel and his family and the great work that they're doing in Los Animas. So... Thank you so much for that. Genesis chapter 50, and we're going to be looking starting in verse 15. It says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the, uh, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of, of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about this present, uh, present result, preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them, and spoke kindly to them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity for us to gather in this place. For us, Father, to, to come and to study your word and to gain those truths, Father, that we can apply into our lives that will enable us, Father, to see that in, in any circumstance or situation that we find ourselves in, to know that not only are you there, 
but that you care for us and that you are seeking what is best. Father, we love you and we praise you. We ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Over the next few weeks, I want to, and let me just say this, it's been almost 13 years since I was the pastor of a local congregation. I served for a number of years as director of missions and now coming up on two years as your executive director. And so it's very seldom that I've had the opportunity to preach three weeks in a row. And so in true Baptist preacher fashion, I've created a series. So I want, we're going to spend time over the next several weeks looking at uh, prominent people from the Old Testament and the struggles that they went through. Now, I, I'm a keenly aware of what your, church, what your congregation's going through and praying on a regular basis for you and for the Duke family, knowing that you're in transition time at this point. But here's one of the things that I want us to examine over the next couple of weeks, is what happens when we go through hardship. Now, I, I'm in a unique position in that outside of, of what's going on uh, high level in your congregation, I know nothing about you as individuals. I don't know what you're going through in your personal lives. I don't know if you're going through difficulties. I don't know if, you're going, if you've just come out of difficulties. But here's what I know. That the best time to learn to deal with hardship is before it comes. Amen? You know, I've often said this, that the best time to learn how to swim is before you fall out of the boat. Right? Once you're in the water, you're highly motivated to learn, but that usually isn't helping you. So, so walking through this next three weeks is going to give us the opportunity to look at where is God in the midst of this? Because if you've not just come out of a hardship or are not in a hardship, chances are one is coming. And I know that's not very cheery news on a Sunday morning, but it's truth. And we need to learn how to deal with it. And so I've entitled this message, this series of messages, When Life Doesn't Turn Out As You Planned. We probably all have testimonies and stories related to that. And you know, really, hardship that, that comes our way usually falls into one of three categories. It is decisions that I have made that have caused these hardships, or decisions that someone else has made that has caused these hardships, or times when nobody's to blame and things just happen. And so we're going to look at one of each of those over this next three weeks. And essentially, there are two questions that God's people ask in the midst of hardships, and here's what they are. Does God know I'm hurting? And the second one is, does God care? And I think we ask those questions because of our theology. Because our theology tells us that God knows all things, and that God's in all places, and that God's all-powerful. If those things are true, and we believe that they are, then oftentimes the question that's asked when we're struggling is we struggle to rationalize how is it that a God who could stop this allows it to continue on. And we, and we need to have answers for those things. And I don't mean just 
trite answers that we offer in a Sunday school class. I mean real answers that we have that get down to the nitty and the gritty, right? When we're going through it, that will help us to move forward. The life of Joseph illustrates for us that we must live in two realities at the same time. In fact, would offer to you that we must keep these tensions balanced in our lives. If you have your outline handy, you'll see that the first two lines there, we're going we're gonna to look at those. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to classify those using two words that I think there are these dimensions that we have to live in. The first one is realism. We must live in, in the realism of life. This is a dimension that we come face to face with in the truth that human life is fragile and that, that we find ourselves many times in precarious positions. We see this fleshed out in the news all the time, don't we? We hear it when we, we, we hear stories of random shootings or of natural disasters or of betrayal or of death. Here's the facts of life. People die. Jobs are lost. Persecution exists. Innocents are abused. And wars come. Those are the realities of life. That's realism. But there's a second dimension that we, we must live in as God's people. And that is a dimension that I'm calling certitude. C-E-R-T. I-T-U-D-E, certitude, those things that we are confident in. And this is the dimension where faith lives. So we've got this, this dimension of reality, of realism, and then we've got this dimension where faith lives. And this is the certainty that in the midst of anything that we experience, regardless of what it is, God has already won the victory for each and every situation. We can be certain of God's victory because God is faithful. His faithfulness has been demonstrated over and over and over again. Many times in our lives, I, I like to refer to these times as monuments within our lives. Well, remember that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he did in the past, he can do in the future. That builds strength, doesn't it? When I know that what God did in this situation... He can do in this situation, which builds and strengthens faith moving forward. These are things that we have confidence in. So we have realism and we have certitude. And I said that we've got to live in, in a balance of those two tensions continuously. And here's why. Because if we leave, live in the realm of realism alone, it leads to despair. All we see are problems. And we have no idea how those problems are ever going to, you know, the sun's never going to rise. It's always going to be like this. And there are people who live in that reality. There's no escape from that situation. But if we live in certitude alone, it leads to romanticism. It leads to a time where we don't think there's ever any problems. And how many people have come to faith thinking you just come to Jesus and that gets rid of all your problems? And then the first time that a battle raises its head, the first time the difficulty comes, those people are like, this is not what I signed up for, I'm out. And so, so we have to hold to those things together. We must embrace the reality of life simultaneously with a certainty in God's ability to deliver. And I think that, that the perfect example for us this morning in those two realms 
is the person of Joseph. Now, I didn't make any assumptions this morning about what you know about the details of Joseph's life. So I'd like to walk us through kind of a high-level survey of all that Joseph went through. Let me encourage you, if you're not familiar with Joseph's life, go to Genesis chapter 37, start reading there to the end of Genesis chapter 50. There you will find a fascinating detail of all of the things that Joseph went through. But these are just the highlights. In Genesis chapter 37, starting in verse 2, we meet Joseph for the first time. And Joseph at that time is 17 years old. And we are told that he's pasturing the flock of his father with his brothers. Now Joseph is the favorite son of his father's wife, Rachel. And so he's treated special. He's treated with all kinds of special favors are lavished upon him. He has 11 older brothers. That didn't sit well with his brothers. That he's the baby, that he's spoiled, and that dad lavishes love on him that they don't feel is lavished on them. And it says in verse 7 of chapter 30, or verse 4 of chapter 37, it says, And they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Now, starting in verse 5, Joseph tells his brothers that he had two dreams. Here are the dreams. That they were all out in the field binding sheaves, but Joseph's sheaf rose up, and all of their sheaves bowed down before him. And then he tells the dream about the sun and the moon and 11 stars that all fell and bowed down before Joseph. And we've already said that his brothers hated him because of these things. Now, that doesn't ingratiate him at all to his brothers. That doesn't do anything to help his case in what's going on. In, in chapter 37, starting in verse 18, we are told that Joseph was given a coat of many colors. That's probably what Joseph's most known for, right? The coat of many colors. And he's walking to meet his brothers who are camped out in the field watching over the sheep. And his brothers see him and they begin to work a plot to kill him. They're going to kill him. They're going to blame it on wild animals and they'll be rid of this, this one forever. But their oldest brother Reuben says... Do not do that. Let's not have the guilt of shed blood on our hands. Let's throw him in a pit. Now Reuben said let's throw him in a pit because he wanted to spare the boy's life. Not that he wasn't about getting rid of him, but he wanted to spare the boy's life. And so as Reuben is off, the other brothers are sitting around a campfire, and we're told that a band of Ishmaelites, a caravan coming through on their way to Egypt, come across these brothers and they, they build in their minds the story. They're going to sell him off into slavery and they're going to take his coat of many colors and they're going to sacrifice a goat and they're going to spread blood on the goat, on the, on the coat of many colors and tell their father wild animals devoured him and he's gone. Now remember, they wanted to get rid of Joseph and this moment leading into selling him into slavery was the answer that they came up with. We don't have the guilt of his death on our heads, but we're rid of him all the same. And so his father grieves. 
Chapter 39 then opens with Joseph now in captivity in Egypt. And he's sold to an officer in Pharaoh's service named Potiphar. And as Joseph is there serving in Potiphar's house, Joseph rises to a leadership position in Potiphar's house where he is in charge of all of the other servants and all of the, uh, of the activities and all of the business of the house. The problem is that Potiphar's wife, her, her eye fell upon Joseph, who is described as a handsome young man, and she wanted to sleep with him. Joseph refused her on, on the sake of the Lord and to honor his master, and she grabbed him by the coat to try to force herself on him, and he fled the house, and she had the coat. And she told her husband, this man tried to force himself on me, and here's evidence that he was in, my, in the house. And so what happens? In chapter 39, verse 20, Potiphar sends him to prison. Here's a young man that was sold into slavery, falsely accused by his master's wife, and now he's on his way to jail. While Joseph was in jail, he rose to prominence there where the captain of the guard gave him charge over all of the other prisoners that were in the, in the prison. And two men, Pharaoh's uh, cupbearer and Pharaoh's baker, were also in prison with him. They had displeased Pharaoh at some point in time, but both of them had a dream. And, and Joseph, through the Lord, was able to interpret the dream. One was to reinstate the cupbearer, the other was to the assassination or the, the murder of the, um, of the baker. And so the cupbearer is reinstituted, Joseph thinking he's going to tell what I've done, I'm going to get out. Chapter 41 is now two years later, Joseph is still in prison, the cupbearer is reinstated. And Pharaoh has a dream that none of his wise men can interpret. But the cupbearer is there and remembers two years ago, Joseph told the interpretation of our dreams and they both came true. And so he tells Pharaoh about it. Pharaoh had two dreams. Joseph is called in. Joseph listens to the dreams and the Lord gives him the interpretation. And here are the two dreams. The first dream was that there were seven sleek, fat cows that were coming up out of the Nile. And behind them were seven gauntly, skinny, wretched-looking creatures coming up out of the Nile as well. And the gaunt cows consume the fat, sleek cows. The second dream was about seven ears of grain. Seven of them that were plump and, and wonderful. Seven of them that were scorched and dried. And the seven dried ones consumed the seven plump ones. And the Lord gave Joseph the interpretation of this. That there were going to be seven years of, of plenty. Seven years of bounty and harvest. Which were going to be followed by seven years of famine. That were going to completely devastate the land. Joseph's encouragement to Pharaoh was, you should put someone in charge of storing up during the time of plenty 
so that when the time of, of limited and the time of famine, there will be enough to go around. And so Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of this. In fact, not only does he put Joseph in charge of this, but Joseph then becomes second in all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. Now I want to walk you through a timeline here. You've kind of heard the highlights of his story. But here's a timeline. Joseph was 17 years old when we met him. Genesis chapter 41 verse 46 tell us that he's 30 years old by the time he stands before Pharaoh to interpret his dream. Seven years of plenty make Joseph now 37 years old. 37 years old when the time of the famine begins. And when the time of the famine begins, it, it becomes a catalyst that not only affects Egypt, but affects the surrounding areas around it. In fact, the famine is so great that his brothers living in Canaan now make their way to Egypt to see if they can't buy food so that they can feed their family. Which in fact becomes the event, the catalytic event, that ultimately brought the Hebrews into Egypt, and later they became slaves. This was the event, the famine that brought them into the land. Our text for this morning, chapter 50, is this culmination of over 20 years of struggle for Joseph. I want you to think about the things that Joseph had been through. He had been torn from his family. He'd been wrongly accused. He had been betrayed. He had been thrown into prison, and he lost those 20 years of the time that he could have spent with his father and his family that he would never get those years back. And according to the picture scripture gives us, all of this happened because of the decisions that somebody else made. Joseph is the victim in the story yes there are times when we suffer because of foolish decisions that we've made and if we were honest and if we were objective those consequences that come from some of our foolish decisions we might say well I deserve this but that's not the case when it's somebody else's decision is it in fact when we're wronged by others there are times when we cry out to the Lord and ask why I did nothing to bring this on. How come I'm having to suffer these things? And then we begin to question, does God really love me? Is God really powerful? Is God really watching what's going on? Because if all of those things are answered yes, then why is he not doing anything in the midst of this? Remember, those are the times when the realism of life and the certitude of our faith have to work in concert together. Joseph teaches us many things about the activities of God's love during times when we don't see that it's possible. In fact, it teaches us what to do when the plans of God don't seem to be clear. And here are the things. I want to I share two things that I think are foundational 
to the story of Joseph and foundational to our lives as well as we walk through hardships, again, caused by somebody else's decisions. Here's the first point. Pain and hardship are a real part of life. You can't avoid them. There's nothing you can do that can avoid hardship in your life. It is a part of life, isn't it? Look again at these verses, 15 through 17. It says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? And they sent this message to Joseph, saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of your servants, of the servants of your God, of your father. And Joseph wept when he, when he heard those words. Joseph wept. Again, the events that led up to this point are those that, that brought the Egyptian or brought the Hebrews to Egypt. Joseph was reunited with his family and reunited with his father. And in fact, the, the Bible tells us that Joseph got to spend the last of the days of his father's life together. And that his father asked him this, Joseph, when I die, don't bury me here. Take me back to Canaan where I can be buried with my fathers and my father's fathers. And so Joseph honored that. There came the time when his father, when Jacob died, and Joseph carried through the, the, the promise that he had made. And hear this, because of Joseph's favor with Pharaoh, he gave him an extravagant funeral service. They were able to take the time, go away, carry through all of the funeral uh, arrangements and the funeral service, and then they came back. And now that the funeral days are over, his brothers are a little nervous. You might see why they would be a little bit nervous. In fact, they feared the worst was going to take place. They feared that, that their brother's anger against them was assuaged as long as their father was alive to honor their father. But once he's out of the picture, then their recompense was going to come to them. And so, verses 16 and 17 are a bit of, a, of an anomaly to us because nowhere in Scripture does it record Joseph or uh, Jacob saying these words to deliver to her brothers. In fact, it might even be that we would suspect these words were contrived for self-preservation. Yes? But what I want you to notice here is Joseph's reaction to those words that they said. Verse 17, the end of verse 17 tells us that Joseph wept when they spoke these words. Now we're not told why Joseph wept. I want you to, to think with me about some possibilities. Perhaps it was hearing his father's words once again that brought him to tears. All of those years that he wasn't able to reclaim, those years lost with his father, maybe, maybe that just brought the, this cavalcade of, of emotions upon him. Perhaps it was that Joseph wished that his brothers had heard his pleas for mercy, and they hadn't. 
Here they're begging for mercy from him. But when, it, when he offered, when he begged for mercy, he didn't receive any of that. Perhaps, again, it was the lost years that, that couldn't be recaptured. Or maybe it was a final healing, what we might call a cathartic moment, where all of that frustration, all of that anger, all of that disappointment, all that Joseph had experienced in that human drama of life during those 20 years just kind of washed away. Ever have just a good cry? Know what they would do without it. It's almost become this uncomfortable companion that they 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 just deal with. They just live in. I've heard this that that unforgiveness can be like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to get sick. It just destroys. It just it just destroys life. Or the other option is that we can choose to release hurts. Now, I'm not saying that in a, in a just flippant way. We release hurts and pretend like they never happened. That's not what I'm saying. But we don't let them control our lives. Sometimes healing only takes place when we're able to stand before the person who has wronged us and say these words, I forgive you. Now, those are not easy words to come out of the mouth, but it's much harder if we don't because of what, what can happen to them. Hardships will come, and, there, and there's no, there'll be times when we feel like we're being tossed along with the waves of the sea, and that's the realism of life. But there's, there's another dimension, and that's that certitude that comes from, that says, God has not abandoned me even in this. Here's the second point that from Joseph's life I think that we can learn. And it's this, that God is always in control. Even when we don't know what the plans of God are, the plans of God don't seem sure or don't, are not clear to us. God is always in control. Listen to what verses 18 through 21 say. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke to them kindly. Gordon Winham, in his commentary on this passage, says this, that what Joseph's life reveals to us 
is that even when no one can imagine, God was holding all the strings in his hand. Look at the words that Joseph spoke again in verse 20. As for you, you meant this against me. You meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. That in the midst of that hardship and difficulty that Joseph was going through, God was there with him. There are two passages I want to take you back to and have you look at. In Genesis chapter 39, as Joseph was sold into Potiphar's household into slavery, verse 2 says this, The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. That's not the statement that was there at the end of his time at Potiphar's house. That was as he was entering Potiphar's house, that the Lord was with him. If you look in that same chapter, verse 21, it tells us as Joseph is now on his way into jail, as he first gets there, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. In every circumstance that Joseph went through, in every trial he engaged, the Lord was with him, working out his plan in Joseph's life. So, we ask the question, does that mean, then, that God caused all of these things to happen? Did God, was God the one that caused Joseph to be sold off into slavery? Was God the one that caused Joseph to go to jail? The answer to that is no. Romans 8.28, Paul says these words. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I want to be clear here in that. It doesn't say, and God causes all things. It says, and God takes or causes all things to work together for good. Those things that are positive in our lives and those things that are difficult in our life, that God is working and orchestrating in all of those, that he's working to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In the Old Testament, while the, while the prophet Jeremiah was in, um, in exile, while they were in Babylon in exile, the Lord says these words in Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And those are words to a group that are out, that, are, that have been captives, that are living in captivity, not where their heart belongs or their heart's desire to be, but where they are. And the Lord says, I know these things. These are the words of certitude. These are the words that God is in control. He is not abandoned and he's not left. Joseph had a choice. He could have focused on his pain and his suffering and there were probably moments when he did that, right? That's the human element in life. There were probably moments when that happened. But the Lord reminded him, I've not left you alone. I'm still with you. And we don't read about Joseph having a poor me syndrome. Oh, this is not what I wanted. If only I had, if only these things hadn't happened to me, I would have been so much better off. Because we suffer doesn't mean we're abandoned. Because of hardship does not mean God has forgotten us. 
As we look at Joseph's life, we see all of the things he was working out to save a people. To save a people that he had called to himself. And he was with Joseph each and every step of the way. So here's our question for today. What do we do when the plans of God are not clear? And I hear, here's the answer. We trust him because he is trustworthy. When we don't understand, we trust him. I know, again, well, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know who here is struggling with some of these things. But I know these are answers that were given from Scripture about how we address them when they come or how we deal with them in the midst. That there is hope and there is a future. That, that the world is not always going to be like this moment if we're in that trial. People still die and people still lose jobs. But God is always there. And he's our comfort and he's our encouragement. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we just thank you for your word and your truth. And sometimes these things are so hard for us to hear. They're so difficult. Because that's not what we want, but it's where we find ourselves. And yet, Lord, we cannot comprehend what you are doing even in the midst of that in our future. And Father, I pray that this morning that we would be encouraged by these words in the story of Joseph. That, Father, that we would not despair or abandon hope or faith, but see, Lord, that you are there working in the midst of that. And, Lord, I, I know that in my own personal life, you used a time of difficulty and hardship to bring me face-to-face -face with the fact that I need you and that, and that I wasn't a believer that I didn't understand who Jesus was or what Jesus did. But through that difficulty, at least I was open to grasp for answers. And Father, you placed people in my lives that could tell me the truth, show me the direction that I might find salvation. And that didn't mean that all my problems went away. But Father, that you were, it, remind, it showed me for the first time that while I was a sinner and undeserving of that love, you gave it anyway. And for that, I'm grateful. Father, maybe there's someone here this morning that's in that same circumstance. And maybe they, they've been hardened by difficulties and hardships. But right now, that, that possibility that there's hope beyond what I, can, what I can see exists in the sacrifice that Jesus made. I pray for that person, Father, that may be here this morning. But Father, for the, your saints who are here, some who may be going through difficulties right now, I pray, Lord, that they will find solace in the fact that you are holding them in your arms and loving them through that. And for those that are not in the midst of hardship yet, Father, may, may we bank these truths away so that when hardship comes, we'll have something that we can lean on that we'll know, Father, that you are there. I pray, Father, that you will, you will lift up this congregation and hold them as you have been. Continue to hold them in your arms and love them and demonstrate for them the, the plans and the future that you have for this witness in this place. 
that, Lord, you are here in the midst of this. Father, we thank you for your love and for your truth, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to